So, uh, my name is Ben Davidson. I'm the executive pastor here. I met some of you uh, last night when I came up and did our opening greetings, and I'm excited to, to teach on this, this topic of how do I change. So, why don't I pray for us, and we'll get started here. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this afternoon and for a chance to continue looking at your word and for guidance and growth in our own hearts and in the lives of those that we are counseling and discipling and talking to about about you. Uh, We do just ask for your help as we uh, are tired. We've been hearing a lot of of great, uh, great messages. Uh, We've loved looking at your word together. Uh, I pray you would help us to be alert and uh, be open to what you would have for us and how you might change during this afternoon. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a lot of, uh, I will mention too, I saw in the last session a lot of people uh, holding up their phones and taking pictures of the, of the slides. Uh, just a reminder that you can, uh, if you missed some blanks or missed a note, um, the copies of those slides are at the bookstore, uh, so you can check that there and take your notes and line them up next to them. Uh, or for $2, you can just have a, a session. Um, so if you wanted Joel's session or I know... Um, Kent didn't get through all his notes. If you want Kent's session, there's just $2 at the bookstore. So quick plug um, for that. Uh, I will be leaning a lot in this session on um, a presentation done by Kevin Martin. And I introduced Kevin last night. He's one of our lay elders here at Bethany Community. Um, so I'm, I'm not really sure what parts of this are Kevin and which parts are me. So if it's good, it's probably Kevin. Um, we'll just go with that. Um, I'll tell you what, when it, this topic of how do I change... I lived a lot of my Christian life uh, trying to be a better Christian. And if you looked at the expanse of the time I spent doing that, I, I spent a lot of that time doing things that really are no different than a non-Christian. The, the methodologies I would try uh, were no different than what a non-Christian would do. Because um, I, I wanted change in my life, but it, it just it, it wasn't coming maybe at the rate I wanted it to, or it wasn't, wasn't clear what the Scripture said about what it means. Um, to experience biblical change. And many, there are many that promise change. Uh, if you listen to WMBD radio at all, you've heard this commercial, I'm sure, of it, this parenting series or DVD or CDs. I, I'm not sure the details of it, but I just remember listening to the, this commercial for it. And it's, are you having trouble with your children? Uh, buy our, our program, and if you don't see results, you will see results in four or five days or your money back. And I just think, boy, what a behavior modification, uh, just trying to, to fix the outward and not getting to the heart, because this commercial is promising that your kid's behavior will change in four to five days. So we have to ask ourselves, how, well, how does real change happen? How, how do I change? Or, boy, that annoying person that sits next to me in church, how do I make them change? Because I'm tired of, of them. Okay, maybe we should be more looking at how I change. Um, that's what we're going to get at um, today. So you'll see in your notes there are, are five different categories here we're going to talk through. Why do I need to change? Who needs to change? When do I change? What do I change? And how can I change? So let, let's start with the why. Uh, why do I need to change? You know, first of all, it's because of our hearts. It's not about just behavior modification and wanting to change the external, but it's because of our hearts. And we see throughout the scripture that our hearts are uh, deceitful and, and wicked and idolatrous. Uh, in the book of James, it uh, calls our hearts lustful. Uh, that uh, James is writing to uh, his church uh, dispersed, and, and he, he says, you adulterous people. He, he calls believers adulterous people. Why is that? Because in a marriage, you have a, a man and a wife who are committed to one another and have this covenant relationship, and, and one leaves to find intimacy, intimacy somewhere else. And that's an adulterer. James calls the, these believers adulterous because he said, your hearts are far from, from God. You, you have this covenant relationship with God and you've gone outside of your relationship with God to find the intimacy they can only find with God. And in Hebrews, it, it leads to an unbelieving, unbelieving heart. Uh, the Bible tells us all we need to know about our hearts and it tells us that we are in trouble. Um, I have four, four kids. They're 15, 13, 11, and 6. And there was a time uh, not too long ago I asked them, why, why is it that we limit your video game playing? Why don't we just let you play all you want on those screens? 
And one of them responded, because it can become an idol. It can become an idol. And we, we, I thank God for that. And I, I, I'm going to share other examples of this, especially with my, my kids. And I, I don't say this to brag at all on my wife or my, my parenting. It's glory to God, right? That as, as we give God's principles to our kids through our parenting, through Sunday, faithful Sunday school teachers and teaching uh, in our church, that God can help us with, with our hearts. A second reason why uh, we need to change. We're tempted uh, James 1, 13 through 16 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, for he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. I, I know this next slide is from, from Kevin, being the outdoorsman that he is. But, so why, why is change important here? Um, verse 14, going back to that. But each person is tempted when he is lured, as literally an uh, animal trap, and enticed, in the Greek, literally baiting for fish by his own desire. You see, God has the intended, the intent for us to become more like his son, be, grow in our Christ likeness and we should go after what God intends for us and not be lured by the enemy or lured by our own flesh there. God has created us and desires for us to be transformed in the likeness of his son. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness, but we are lured away and enticed by our own sinful nature. Too often we blame this on Satan. Uh, I can't remember who said this. Someone said, I don't even think Satan even knows your name. Uh, we, we sometimes equate that, that Satan is somewhat equal to God, that he has this omnipresent nature like God does, but he, he doesn't. Now, I'm not saying that it, there's not a spiritual war at, at hand and that uh, that's not a, a reality. I think it is. But I think too often we just blame that. Oh, the devil is making me think about this or, or that. I don't think he even knows your name. I don't think he even knows my name. Um, We need to understand and take our responsibility when it comes to not allowing ourselves to be self-lured. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? As a living sacrifice to him so we can grow in that Christ-likeness. Going back to verse 15 then in James 1. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. You see this progression here. Uh, we're sin that fully grown brings forth death. The ultimate end of this enticement, this temptation, is spiritual death. For the wages of sin is death. But thankfully the verse doesn't end there, right? We don't have to experience death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So James gives us chronological progression, starting with desire. What takes place in the mind, your, your thought life can be sin. You can take inner delight in doing something God forbids, and it conceives and gives birth, uh, and the ultimate end uh, is death. So we need to change because we are tempted. Thirdly here, we need to change because change is really required. It's not really an option uh, for us. Um, Ephesians four seventeen. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must, you must, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Change is not an option, something that if we have time for, maybe I'll consider that. If we have laid ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice, we don't try to get up. We stay on that altar as a living sacrifice, and we strive for change. The scripture says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, at, at Bethany Community Church, we, uh, we have vacation days. Um, I know most people think we only work on Sundays as pastors, but we actually do need some vacation time. It's, it's kind of nice. And so Sunday is, in a sense, a work day for a, for a pastor. And so when we have our vacation day, Sunday is considered, a, if you're not at church, that's a vacation day. So we have this opportunity to, to go to other churches and visit those churches to see kind of how they do things and, and worship uh, with that local, local church. And I remember... Uh, not so long ago, we, we visited a, a church, and uh, we went to uh, just one service and fellowship there and worship there and then, and then came home. 
Now, in the, the nature of, of most of the, the pastors at our church, and, and a lot of lay people at our church, we're, we're a church plant. We, we hold our services at Five Points, Washington. Uh, we get there early. The, the doors get unlo- unlocked at 7 a.m., and we start setting up, uh, sometimes up to two hours to get ready for things to start at 9. Uh, then we tear down, sometimes not until 12.30 until we get done with that. And so I, I'm usually one of the people there at, at 7, and, and, you know, we're moving, we're we're slumping tables and chairs all over the place and running cords, running wires and doing all kinds of things. And, you know, I, I found myself on that vacation Sunday going to, to one service for an hour and 15 minutes or so and coming home. My, my flesh kind of liked that. <laughs> There's a sense of, hey, I, this, is, this is not bad. I could get used to this. You know, this whole like five and a half hours of, of, of kind of breakneck speed until until lunchtime, this is, this is, this is kind of nice. And, and it just reminded me that I, I must no longer walk in that, that flesh that, that just wreaks havoc on us, that we have our position in Christ. And boy, we may, that's been so well taught here, hasn't it, today? We have our position in Christ, but then we have this condition where we still struggle with our flesh. And we need the guardrails of the scripture to say change is required. Don't try to live in your flesh and, and take, for me on that Sunday, the easy way out for me in light of how my Sundays go. But strive for, for change. Change is, is required. Uh, Hebrews 12, 10 and 11. For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. We may share his holiness. This change is required. We must share in his holiness, strive for holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Earlier in Hebrews, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the word is, is living and active, piercing us, helping us to change. Failure to change can produce really only one of two things here. On this last slide before we go to the who. Idolatry or self-destruction. Really, what is idolatry? It's anything that captures our affections more than God. I think it was John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, one of those smart old dead guys. Uh, Our hearts are idol-making factories. Isn't that true? I can make an idol over, I order the chicken, but I, I really want the ham now. I can and that's true of all of us, isn't it? We can make idols out of such little, simple things. We can desire something, and that's not bad to desire the ham, but when it becomes a demand, that's when it's become an idol. A ham wrap can become an idol. Ultimately, though, it can lead to self-destruction for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. We don't want to shortchange this idea of idolatry um, some have said that idolatry is the greatest issue facing all of Christendom. You look at the end of 1 John. Everyone knows how the, end, the book of 1 John ends? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It seems like kind of a random end to a letter, doesn't it? Uh, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll read a, a, a book to a child and you'll say, what do you think happens next in this sweet story of the gingerbread man? And they say something like, well, the Hulk comes and bashes them into pieces. And he's like, where did that come from? You're sick. That's kind of what the end of 1 John, little children keep yourselves from idols. Why is this random ending? Why does John do that? Because this is the greatest issue that we struggle with. We want to worship God. That, that's what a Christian says. My goal is to worship God. That's what I should be shooting for. I make it my aim to please him. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. And then we say, yeah, but I really want this in my life, God. You're not giving me what I want. And so I'm going to start to worship that. God, you don't understand. This is what I really need in my life. I know you're supposed to be God over my life, and I'm that living sacrifice, staying on the altar. I'm just going to get up from the altar for a little bit because you don't quite understand what I really need. 
You're not really the God over all my life because this thing that I want, that job promotion, that school exam to go the way it's supposed to go for me, my child not to be rebellious against my authority to do what I say, whatever it is, God, you don't understand. This is how my life is supposed to go. And that desire that's submitted to God, God, I, I would like that promotion. I would, I would like that school exam to go the way it would. I would like my children to, to grow in godliness and be obedient children. That desire becomes a demand. And we chase after it passionately. And we fall into sin. So we don't want to make light of this sense of, of idolatry. It's, I think, the greatest issue in all of Christendom is our lack of worship of God and instead worshiping these idols. So many reasons there why we need to change. Let's go to the who. Who needs to change? Well, first of all, an unbeliever needs to change. They need to experience repentance. They need to, to trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. God, man, Jesus response. Acts 2.38, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We need to repent of our, of our sin and, and, and be baptized too. Not, that's not part of our salvation, but it's an expression of something that's happened inwardly already. We've talked about the two types of, of change. There's that positional change when one is justified or positional sanctification, right? Our position is clear of who we are in Christ Jesus. And then we have this other type of change needs to come, this progressive sanctification uh, as we grow and change, become more like Christ. But for the unbeliever, uh, some, some have asked me, you know, hey, uh, do you do biblical counseling with, with unbelievers? Can you biblically counsel someone who has not yet placed their faith in Christ? And the answer is yes and no. Because <laughs> what's the counsel to an unbeliever? In any issue they're struggling with, what's the counsel? God, man, Jesus responds. It's the gospel. So if an unbeliever contacts me and says, hey, can I, can I meet with you? I'm struggling with a certain life issue. Um, yes, yes, we can meet. Of course we can. And we share the gospel. We talk about the gospel over and over and over again and express to them, you really have no hope for change in your life unless you've dealt with your biggest issue. Because whatever issue you came in here with is not your biggest issue. Your biggest issue is your sin and your separation from the living God and so respond to him and trust in Christ alone and trust that his death and burial and resurrection is enough to pay for your sin. It is enough. And I say this in relation to this slide related to the unbeliever, but let me talk to you, the believer. Do you, are you sitting here today and do you believe that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is enough to pay for your sin? Because in a room this big, and I, I've looked at the registration. Uh, I know there's, there's church names behind, I think, almost ev- I think everybody's name that's here. So you're a church-going folk, okay? And that's great. But a room this big of church-going folk, there are people here that struggle with that guilt. I know I'm forgiven. The Scripture says I'm forgiven. But I still, but what about, I still feel really bad. Know that you are forgiven if you have placed your faith in Christ alone. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name given to man under heaven by which we must be saved. He is enough. He is enough. So that does lead us to the believer. Who else needs to change? The believer. Then notice that it's the same first word there, repentance. Repentance, salvation for the unbeliever, and repentance and sanctification for the believer. So 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises... Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So we recognize here that the the believer has not arrived. Uh, We are, if we have placed our faith in Christ, we are are saved. We are blood-bought. We are that chosen race, the royal priesthood of people for God's own possession. But we have not arrived. You've heard it said the ground at the foot of the cross is flat. There's no front row and back row in Christendom, right? We're not arrogant people who look at unbelievers and say, boy, what's wrong with that person? Without first saying, what's wrong with me? 
I know who I am in Christ, but I don't look at the unbeliever and say, boy, they are really messed up. Without saying, boy, I am still messed up. I still struggle. The faith that I have is a gift from God. Uh, write, write this down. Look at the book. Look at the book. There are some videos on desiringgod.org, or they're on YouTube as well, uh, that John Piper has put together. And I, I can't commend these to you enough. A gift to the Christian faith, where Dr. Piper takes about 10 minutes on a passage of Scripture. All you see on the, the screen is the passage of Scripture, and you see his digital pen marking up the Scripture, telling you different truths, how he studied it, what this means, how it correlates to what this means. He goes, brings another scripture on the screen. This is how that scripture correlates to the scripture. It is a gift to the church. You must look at these. We've been going through Romans 8 as a family in our family devotion. So at breakfast, I pull out the iPad. I go sit at the other end of the table. We play this iPad at the other end of the table, and we watch a look at the book together. And we've been looking at Romans 8, and it is, I mean, phenomenal. Our faith is a gift, we haven't arrived by saying I'm a Christian, right? When I say I'm a Christian, I fall to my knees. And I say, thank you, God, for placing the faith within me and placing within me that desire for you. It's all about God. And I still need to change because I have not arrived yet. I still need to change. It's not of me that I can call myself a believer in Jesus Christ. How does this relate to counseling? How does this relate to counseling? Uh, I know some of you, I, some of you signed up for this uh, conference for, for different reasons than others. Some of you came thinking, okay, by the time I leave here, I want to know what it's like to sit behind an oak desk with other people on the other side of the desk that are really messed up, and I have some type of certificate behind me that shows that I'm really approved of somebody or somebody approved me to do this. And by the end of, of this afternoon, I want to know how to do that. Okay, um, spoiler alert, it's probably not going to happen, right? Because who really knows still how to do that, right? It's, it's all a process. We're all, all learning and sharpening and, and growing. Some of you came because, yeah, hey, I'm, I just want to know, when I'm at Starbucks with my buddy or, or, or at Starbucks with my best girlfriend, how, how, do I, how do I talk with them about their struggle with wanting a divorce? How do, how do I talk with them about their struggle with anxiety? Um, I think knowing who needs to change helps in all those situations. We need to talk about the gospel. We, how, how, who needs to change and how do we bring about changing them? We go to the gospel first. And a, a lot of this gospel living is, is not just saying, okay, are you saved? Okay, good. Now let's talk about how to be a better husband. Okay, are you saved? Okay, check. Let's talk about how to be a good employee. Are you saved? Okay, check. Let's talk about how to be a good parent. It's how does the gospel infect you being a husband? How does the gospel infect you as an employee? How does the gospel infect you in your parenting? Sometimes we think that the gospel is for the day of our salvation, and that's kind of it. We don't need it for the rest of the time. Now it's the rules and regulations time. I am in just as much need of grace as the day I was saved. Every day I'm in need of grace. Every day for my sanctification and my my growth. So that's how it relates to counseling. We, we need to make sure we remember as we're talking with those we're counseling about the gospel and how the gospel affects everything that we do. You see, when I understand the depth of my depravity and I see how far God had to reach to save me, it puts my problems in perspective. Does that put your problems in perspective? I think it was Stuart Scott, not the ESPN analyst, but the professor at Southern Seminary that said, every day I wake up and I'm thankful I'm not in hell. Does that start your day with a little perspective? Every day I wake up, I thank God I am not in hell. That takes that annoying neighbor problem that you have and puts it in perspective. That takes that oppressive boss that won't relieve you of the projects and keeps heaping on more. That puts things in perspective. That takes your rebellious child, that cancer that you have, that loss in your family. That puts it in perspective. Thank God for the gospel. And that it helps us to change. So why do we need to change? Who needs to change? When do we need to change? 
Luke 9, 23. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. When? Daily. All the time. This kind of puts the daily quiet time thing in perspective, doesn't it? Now, I grew up in a church tradition uh, where uh, in junior high, there was a chart on the wall, and you came in every week on Sunday, and you had to put a sticker on how many times you read your Bible that week. And I didn't have many stickers. And I felt like I wasn't a really good Christian because Jimmy had lots of stickers. And Benji, that was my name back then, uh, Benji did not have many stickers. Yeah. And so the daily quiet time came to me, came as something to me as, well, you, uh, you know, it's kind of a check, check off. You know, so you kind of get in that game of, okay, how many verses do I have to read in order for it to count as a daily quiet time? Uh, okay, John 3.16, I kind of got to memorize anyway. Quick, quick, quick. Okay, God help me with my day. Amen. Sticker time. I qualified, right? But this idea of, 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 of when do I need to change, I, I take up my cross daily and follow me, that puts that devotional time in perspective, doesn't it? I, I need, I need time with the Lord. I, I need change daily. I, I can't go on without it. I remember being out at Colorado State University for a, a training conference. And we were there out there for, for six weeks, actually. And we were campus missionaries. And we were living in some student apartments, another family living uh, above us. And the husband came down the stairs, and I was outside playing with, with Addie, our, our, uh, one of my daughters. And I asked him what he was, he was, he was doing, and he said, uh, you know, I'm going to a coffee shop because I just need to spend time with the Lord. And I, I, was, I was just, you know, doing life kicking the ball, having fun. I hadn't really thought about that today. <laughs> that really needed, I need God today. See, in my arrogance, in my, in my pride, in my uh, thrust for, for chasing after my own idols, I was pretty okay on my own. I was pretty independent from God. And at that moment, God used that man in my life to say, take up your cross daily, Ben. You, you need time with me. You need exhortation from my word for change. Hebrews 3, uh, 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. We mentioned this verse earlier. And you see kind of the spiral down here, right? This evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. Then if you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, you see this continual spiral down we need constant exhortation we need daily pursuit of, of god and of change in our lives so one could say well i understand that counseling is discipleship discipleship is counseling that we're all counselors doesn't matter are we biblical counselors or not but there is this sense of sometimes we have these weekly gatherings where there is a, a desk and there's people that talk to other people and give them homework and these types of things it's kind of formal counseling doesn't this verse kind of negate that exhort everyone every day so this once a week counseling thing what's not really worth it uh, well i would say that this once week counseling helps point us towards this when i was exposed to biblical counseling for the first time and sufficiency of scripture it, it radically transformed my life uh, it radically transformed my life i i looked at the bible as an option for growth but there's lots of other good things that helped me grow too and i remember uh, sitting in Pastor Joel's office and observing in a counseling situation and seeing God's word work through Joel and in this situation and, and the, the people that were there, and I was sold. It was like sitting in the stands at a football field and just watching something amazing happening out on the field. And I saw Joel just say, here's God's word. You need to wrestle with it. And that's, that's what counseling is, right? Here's God's word. This is not my opinion. This is not just Ben Davidson or, or, or some person. This, here's God's word, and, and you need to wrestle with this. This is what it says. How does it relate to your situation? I remember hearing uh, once from Kent uh, Cloder, uh, he, he says to people, uh, let's read the scripture. Why do you think I had us read this scripture? And let the person respond. He said, what do you think this passage of scripture says about your situation? What's Kent doing? Here's the scripture. <laughs> You've got to wrestle with that. If you're intimidated by 
counseling, discipling others, let the intimidation fall away right now. What are you doing? Here's the scripture. Wrestle with that. And so we do that in our, in our counseling, and we exhort them then to every day, daily, pursue him. Pursue him. This is just a side note. The sufficiency of scripture is just, just amazing. Think about it. You know, I think one of the one of the clinching moments for me, and, and I, I give thanks to the Spirit for this, is that I just thought, thought this through. Would the gracious, loving God who poured his mercy and grace upon me to save me then say, okay, I'm going to withhold, I'm going to withhold from you now. I'm not going to give you everything you need in the Scripture. I'm going to withhold some and let you figure out the rest. That doesn't make sense to me as I look at the Bible. When I see the grace and mercy poured upon me, through the cross, that he would not provide a sufficient Bible for me as well. So I remember in, in Joel's office, seeing a, counseling was a part of that daily pursuit. Uh, maybe it's not logistically possible that we meet every day, but it's part of that daily pursuit. When we meet for counseling, um, Brad Bigney would say this. He, he tells people, there's four things I need from you when we, we meet for counseling. Um, first, I need a learner spirit. I need you to give me permission to speak truth into your life if I see any area that's not in line with biblical truth. You're not going to have time to write this down, I promise. Number two, I need you to do some homework every time. This is not the magic hour. I love that, right? It's daily pursuit. This is not the magic hour. I'm going to give you some tools that you need, but you're going to have to daily pursue God in between our meetings. Number three, I need some time. I need some time. You did not get in this situation overnight, and you won't get out of it overnight. We're going to need time. And number four, I need you. This may be the most critical one. I need you to be broken and desperate enough to actually be willing to change instead of just going through the motions and talking about how hard it is. That's where it starts, right? When do we need to change? It's daily. It's this this daily brokenness and desperateness to say, God, I need you. I need you. So uh, Pastor Joel promised for me to deliver on quite a few things during his uh, message. Uh, so someone did ask, though, do you have a chart for what we're supposed to be doing? We have all those charts for what we're not supposed to be doing. Here's the chart for what we're supposed to be doing, right? Progressive sanctification. Uh, there you see that dot on the lower left there, our justification. When one places their faith in Christ, and over time, they grow in their holiness. And ultimately, wouldn't it be great if that line were straight? No hardships, no struggles. Everything's just, I just left the conference and things are great. I'm on the conference high. Uh, but reality hits, and it's more uh, up and down a little bit. Um, but I think that's, that's progressive sanctification, isn't it? That's, I'm growing and changing, uh, declared to be like Christ, and disciplining myself to act like Christ, become more like Christ. Um, the next slide maybe better represents that graph. We can't forget that which we were saved from and the power of the gospel that saved us, right? That justification. We need to remember our identity. Remember our identity in Christ. A little slogan that we come up in our household is know who you are, be who you are, and take others with you. Know who you are in Christ, be who you are, live that out, and then take others with you. If they're unbelievers, the gospel, if the believers, encourage them towards holiness. And so I, I drive my uh, three older kids to school, and usually they hear something along these three lines as they exit the car. Remember who you are today, or be who you are today. Take somebody with you today. Because they need that daily reminder, and I need that daily reminder. As I say that to them, I'm saying it to myself. I need to know who I am. I need to be who I am. And I need to take others, others with me. So that's the when. That's that daily pursuit that we need. The what. Let's go to the what. How do I change? What do I need to change? Here, what do I need to change? Well, Joel already alluded to this in his message. It's not just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's... It's not the, the let go and, and let God mentality where we just kind of release ourselves of any obligation. It's not a holy zap. 
these are there are many kind of worldly concepts that can creep their way into the Christian world um, to say this is how change happened. It's not fruit nailing, where that kind of behavior modification that we try to throw fruit up on a cactus and hope it sticks and shows something. John fifteen eight. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What needs to change? It's the heart. It's the heart. If it, those idols are, are, are being cast out of this factory-making heart, we need change in our heart. Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Uh, Proverbs 23, 7, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That We struggle with that idolatry, those desires that become demands. And I would say, as a, a parenting note here, as you parent your kids, I would encourage you, compliment the heart. Um, yesterday, we were out in the lobby, and we were uh, preparing for the conference, and my six-year-old Sadie was here, and she was helping uh, someone wash the windows by the front, front doors. That person was very gracious and invited our six-year-old to help her do that. And you know, I'm, I'm mulling over this, this message and this idea of the heart and, and not just fruit nailing, and I found myself first saying, hey, great job helping with, with the windows. And I thought, well, wait a minute. I'm just complimenting the external there. And so I, I had to kind of correct what I said. And, and what I, I fixed myself to say was, hey, what I saw in you was what I believed to be a real heart of service. And I'm so thankful that you showed that heart of service. So the, you see what I'm getting at? The, the compliment wasn't on the washing of the windows. The compliment was on what, and I said this, what, what I think I saw, because I don't know what, what actually was going on in her heart at that time, right? It could be, hey, I'm going to wash these windows in hopes that there's a Dairy Queen blizzard coming on the way. <laughs> I don't know what her, her ruling motive of her heart was. That's, the Lord knows that, but I, I don't. And so what I corrected myself to say was, boy, what I think I saw was a real heart to serve there. And thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. So we want to make sure that we're not just addressing the outside. Um, and so again, I don't say this to brag. I'm really a recovering legalist who wants to give glory to God. Um, but I need to look at my own heart as well. A quote from uh, Ted Tripp here. A change in behavior does th- that does not stem from a change of heart is not commendable. It's condemnable. So we can have someone who says, hey, did Last week we met, we talked about you reading your Bible more, and hey, are, are you doing that? Yeah, I nailed it, man, seven out of seven. Hey, awesome, great job. And we've fed this legalism of, yes, I, so I have earned my place with God. I've had seven out of seven days of time with the Lord. We want to be careful not to just champion the external, but get to the heart as well. John 4, 23 and 24. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Again, not behaviorism. A parent is tempted to go after the behavior of their child, but that is fruit nailing, like the Pharisees. So we find ourselves as parents saying, hey, kid, knock that off, because I want to continue to worship my idol of ease that you are keeping me from worshiping. Just knock it off. Would you stop doing that? Because if you stop that external behavior, I can go on and let the idle factory keep going. We don't want to slow down and address the heart. Because let's be honest, addressing the heart is hard. It is difficult. And we're meeting with someone and they're, they're pouring out what's going on on their life and how this should be different. And sometimes even our Christian vernacular, we say, oh, I'm so sorry that's happened to you. Is that biblical? Is that true? I'm so sorry that God's will has played out in your life and he's using this to grow you to become more like his son, Jesus. Boy, that shouldn't happen to you. Now, don't go to the elders of Bethany Community Church and said that Ben Davidson says we shouldn't show compassion to people. <laughs> that should be framed in compassion and compassion and compassion. That must be so difficult. I can't imagine what it's like to go through what you're going through right now. That has to be one of the hardest things you have ever experienced. One of the harder things I've ever heard described. 
my heart just breaks with you. What did I not say? I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I don't want to fuss with what God's doing in their life. Do you want to fuss with what God's doing in their life? Do you want to, you want them to, you want to help them to think that they don't deserve what's going on in their life? That, or that they're not reaping what they've sowed? Do you want them to, to think that whatever hardship, maybe it's not what, reaping what they're sowed. Maybe it's something external that's happened to them. Do you want them to think that God made a mistake in what's going on in their life? I, I don't want to be the harbinger of that. Be the deliverer of, yeah, boy, God made a mistake here, didn't he? We don't just want to tell our kids, knock it off. We want to get to the heart. We want to, to pull them aside to a, to a separate room. If, if an altercation or something, some type of sinful behavior has happened in the living room, we want to take them aside to, to a, a bedroom and, and say, hey, what's going on with your heart right now? You just hit your sibling, but why did you hit your sibling? Why did you just do what you did? What's the heart issue? What's the idol that you're worshiping that's causing that? And with our little ones, they're going to look at you and go, idol? I don't know what you're talking about. So we give them options, right? Were you wanting that toy? Were you responding to what they said to you? What, give them multiple choice, right? You were wanting that toy? Oh, that's so great that you wanted that toy. I'm so glad you enjoy that toy that Grandpa got you for Christmas. That's awesome. And pretty soon the kid's going, oh, this is good. I could hit them for the toy. because You can affirm that desire, right? But what can you not affirm? The demand, the idol worship. Hey, I love that you love that toy, but what went wrong? You said, I'm going to have that toy no matter what, didn't you? And that desire, that's a good desire, became a bad demand and became sin. And that's what we're going to talk about here in the bedroom now, is your sin. Not the fact that you should have gotten the toy or, what, oh, I'm so sorry you didn't get that toy. Should we say that? No, right? I don't want to fuss with God on that. I'm so sorry. No, see, we need to get to their hearts. We don't just address the behavior because they're, they're, they're made, we need to drill down deep and see what's going on in the heart. We don't just address the external thing that came upon the person and say, I'm so sorry that happened to you. But in compassion and love and care, can I express that enough? In compassion and love and care, we say, my heart breaks for you. Can I help you? Can I walk with you through this process? We have this discipleship river that we're all flowing down, and sometimes we get stuck in this eddy in our boat, and we need other people to jump in there and paddle with us, right? That's counseling. That's discipleship. We all get stuck in that eddy, don't we? Counseling is not for the screwed up people. It's for all of us. We need people to help, to help us to see, okay, what's going on in your heart and drill down deep with us into our hearts. We need people to jump in our boat and say, that external thing happened to you. God allowed this into your life. How, how can we help you get the oar and start paddling through to get back on that discipleship river of growing and changing, becoming more, more like Christ? What needs to change? Our hearts need to change. Uh, I have, it seems like every speaker has to have some type of pyramid or triangular shape in their message, so I decided to follow suit and do that as well. I've been in and out some messages. Maybe you've seen this already, but I'll explain it again for those who maybe missed it. Um, the bottom here, we have to decide where are we going to get our knowledge from? Epistemology, where are we get our knowledge from? Are we going to get it from the world on the left or the word? Where are we going to get it from? That forms our beliefs, right? Epistemology is wh- where we get our truth from, where we get our knowledge from. We, we drop down and do we get it from the word? Do we get it from the world? And that forms our beliefs, and we start to, to form our, our belief system, and we start to v- just deem certain things valuable, which points us towards there's a deity to worship. If we get it from the Word, that deity is our God of the Bible. If we get it from the world, something else becomes that deity. And whatever we say is our deity forms what we desire, because we desire to worship that deity. And so if our, our desire is to worship the God of the Scriptures, that forms what we do, doesn't it? That forms what we do. If our desire is to worship some other deity, that's informed what, by what we deem valuable, by our beliefs that we reach down in the world to pick up, that influences what we do. See what I'm getting at here? Is that this helps us really drill down to the heart, doesn't it? Is what you're doing 
come from a desire to worship the deity that eventually comes, comes from the scripture? Okay. Or is what you're doing come from a desire to worship a deity that flows from a love of the world? That idol. That idol there. So we don't think about this, but when we find that child in our children's ministry that just whack a mold the other kid in, in next to him, we say what? Stop hitting. And we've addressed the surface. And maybe in that moment that's appropriate because you've got 15 other ankle biters around you. What are you going to do at that moment, right? But if we stop there, what have we taught that child? Hey, just stop doing the surfacey thing and then you're good. I don't care about what you're worshiping. I don't care about anything else in your life. I just want you to stop hitting. But I think a Sunday school teacher that loves that child Maybe not in that moment because they can't because there's 15 other kids around, but they address it. They pull that child aside at some point. When the parent comes to pick him up, they take the parent and the child and they say, hey, Jimmy hit so-and-so and and I want to, why did you hit them? What was going on there? And know that if we really want to believe, worship God, we would handle that differently. And we we, we come up, we come up from the heart and not just stay at the surface. I think a lot of our advice to our kids, to our coworkers, to fellow church members can be at the top of this triangle. Just stop doing that. Maybe you've seen that Bob Newhart skit on YouTube. Someone comes in for counseling. His advice is, stop it. Just stop it. Stop doing that. Bad counseling. Because <laughs> we're just, it's like putting a band-aid in open heart surgery. What good is that going to do? We're just getting to the surface. What needs to change? We need to drill down to the heart. It's the heart that needs to change. Okay. Let's do this. Stretch out. A little tired, right? Shake out the arms. Shake out the legs a little bit. This is the last point, right? How do I change? I don't think I got a half hour here, so we'll see how this goes. But, okay. How are we doing? Nobody, not many people standing. I'm impressed. But feel free to if you need to. So this is the money ball here, right? This is it. Okay, now, how do we do this? How do I change? Let's get to the meat here now. This is all just introduction so far. How do I change? First, by God's enabling grace. I hope you've heard that throughout this whole, whole time together. First, by his enabling grace. By grace, Jesus Christ empowers us to change through the Holy Spirit in prayer. The worship of the heart is the focus of change. And the Bible is the standard of change. Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So first of all, we know that any change that happens, how am I going to change? It's falling upon the grace of God. It's not, grace is not just for the day of, of my salvation, but it's for my sanctification as I grow and progress and become more like Jesus. So it's through his enabling grace. Second, repentance. I don't know if it's biblical to have a favorite passage of Scripture. Is that allowed? Um, and I'm not sure. But James 4, 1 through 10 is probably my favorite, if you're allowed to do this, uh, my favorite passage of Scripture. I just have 8 through 10 here, but 1 through 10 is uh, one of my favorites. Uh, James has addressed his, his church. Um, this is just after the part where he calls them, you adulterous people. Uh, James 4, 1 uh, starts by uh, addressing the heart, what causes fights and what, cause, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, your desires are at war within you, and it causes these fights and quarrels? It drills down the heart, James does, as a good pastor that he is. You have all these fights and quarrels, but that's not what I'm addressing you about. It's the passions at war within you, your desires at war within you, you become demands, you're worshiping idols, you adulterous people. So James doesn't leave him there. He says, so draw near to God, repent. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves for the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the description, I think, a biblical sufficient description of true repentance. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Humble yourself for the Lord, and he will exalt you. What do these words mean? Draw near. 
don't just break the adulterous relationship. Don't just stop it. You'll focus on rebuilding the fellowship with God. Right? You, you've, you've left your covenant relationship with God and committed adultery by seeking intimacy and worshiping those idols. Come back. Draw near to him. Rebuild that relationship with God. Cleanse yourself. Your hands, the tangible, the quick. There's this term called radical amputation. Um, what's the movie with uh, Kirk Cameron about marriage? Fireproof. Thank you. Uh, there's a scene in that movie, if you've seen it, um, where he's struggling, the character is struggling with looking at improper things on the internet, so he takes his computer outside. Do you remember this? If you saw it? He puts it on the front, front driveway, takes a baseball bat, and starts beating the computer. Yeah, and then I think the neighbor's, like, watering the flowers, looking at him like, what's going on? That's radical amputation. It's, if there's anything in my life that is hindering me from becoming more like Jesus, it's worth it to get it out of my life. It's worth it. If you are a believer in Christ, you said that your goal in life is to glorify God. That's your goal. So in your head right now, think of something. Maybe there's something in your life right now that is keeping you from that goal. Is it that computer? Is it that cell phone? Is it that, that hobby, that thing that's, that keeps you, that, uh, I, that thing in your life that it doesn't force you to worship the idol, but boy, it sure, it sure has a propensity to show me that idol more or help me to worship that idol more clearly radically amputate it out of your life it's worth it it's worth it it's worth it to draw near to him cleanse yourself purify purify your heart recognize the idols of your heart and ask for forgiveness put off those things that keep you trapped in that sinfulness in that fleshly thinking and put on the righteousness of god and righteous living Mourn, weep, recognize your depravity. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong uh, with recognizing your depravity. Uh, I know we live in a culture that talks about self-esteem. And um, I want to be very careful how I, how I say this. Um, but I think there's potential that the self-esteem mo- movement uh, rips our theology of depravity. Because I, I believe the self-esteem movement says you are a good person. You are a great person. Think highly of yourself because you can do it. And I think that doesn't mesh well with our theology of, of our depravity. Because when I stand before God, I stand before him completely broken. Um, I, I have a t-shirt at home that I bought at Kohl's for $4. And it says, I bring nothing to the table. I think it was from the skater part of the Kohl's. I'm not sure what that means to the skater but I know what it means for the believer. I bring nothing to the table. I am nothing without him. And we, we sing those songs, Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you. Every hour, I need you. As we breathe, I need God. And so I recognize my depravity and I welcome those that point out my depravity and recognize my sin against God and against others because it does humble me. It does humble me. So we need repentance, and I, I don't have 2 Corinthians 7, 7 through 11 on the, on the slides. Um, but as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he, he talks about um, how he wrote a letter to them. And if I'm remembering right, it, it, it's not 1 Corinthians. It's, it's, a, it's a middle letter. So you have 1 Corinthians, you have 2 Corinthians. This is other letter that we don't have, but Paul refers to. And this letter in 2 Corinthians 7 um, he chastised the Corinthian church for, um, for their sin. And he talks about how there was this kind of temporary grieving, um, this kind of worldly grieving, that you, you felt bad for a little while, but then it didn't really make that much difference in your life. And, and we have examples of that in our own lives, don't you, where, where, yeah, boy, I really shouldn't do that. Boy, that was wrong. And the next day we find ourselves doing it again. Well, I really shouldn't view that thing on the internet. I really should stop doing this. The next day, we're doing it again. I really shouldn't talk that way to my kid. That sounds condescending. I really shouldn't do that, but then I do it again the next day. And that, that's what this worldly sorrow is. Um, in verse 8, it says, It was only for a little while, though only for a while. But there is a, a godly sorrow. 
in uh, verse 9, it says, you, you are grieved and repenting, for you felt a godly grief. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so as we think about how, how, do, we, how do we change, we think, okay, do I have a, a worldly grief or a godly grief? As, as we're talking with others, talking with our kids, uh, talking with those kids in Sunday school, uh, talking with people in our family, we, we need to evaluate that and ask God for help. God, uh, help me with this as I say this, Lord. But it seems like the grief that you're showing is, is, seems a little bit more temporary. Would you say that you're grieved by this? Is this a repentance? Because as we define repentance, this is what repentance is, right? I'm walking towards the sin. I'm embracing it. I want it. I want to worship this idol. This desire has become a demand, and I love it. I want to be with it. We repent. No, I, I don't want this. My goal in life is to please God. I make it my aim to please God. I turn and I walk this way. That's repentance. You want to show repentance to your children's Sunday school class? Do that. Walk this way and turn around and walk the other way. <laughs> walk towards, towards God. That's, a, that's a, a godly sorrow. That's I am sorrowful for this. I don't want this. Now, I'm not saying that means perfectionism, that I turn away and I never go back. But I'm grieved every time I go back. God, I mourn. I, I weep because of that, that sin in my life. So repentance. And I think if you hear anything from this message, how do I change? It's that. Repentance. Repentance. Another way we change is, is through Scripture. Right? That's how we get to repentance is through Scripture. Philippians 4 4 through 9, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made, be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Daily pursuit of the scripture. Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice these things. So we need the scripture. Fourthly, we need fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. I think it was St. Augustine that said, uh, prayerlessness is a sin. Have you thought about that before? Well, how, why, how can that be true? Oh, I just forgot to pray. I'm, I'm good. I just forgot to pray. I think prayerlessness is a sign of our desire for autonomy away from God. I don't want to change. And when I pray, I'm saying that I'm dependent on someone. Have you thought about that before? When you pray... You are confessing your need. You're not just listing off a bunch of requests of things you want God to do, but you're expressing a deep need for Him. So when we pray, it's not, here's my list, God. Do the things that I want you to do. I'll get back to you tomorrow and see if you've done it right yet. It's, God, I, I need you. I need you. Fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Uh, Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. Our, our, what a great model for us, right? It, it, it puts us on our knees. Our Father who art, art, art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are great. God, may, may your kingdom come. May you do as you see fit in this world and in my life. May your will be done. How do I change? I surrender my likes. I'm not telling you not to pray for things. Pray for things, but say, God, only if you desire. Only if you are made to look great. Only if you are hallowed. May these things be true. If they don't come to fruition, God, and I don't see them with my eyes, may you be hallowed. If things go totally opposite of what I just prayed, may your name be hallowed. May you be great. May you be lifted up no matter what. No matter what. That's how we change. Through fervent prayer and hallowed be God's name. Fifthly here, through the Holy Spirit. The scripture shows the Holy Spirit and affecting change here. Look at verse 18. And we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this change comes from the Lord who is spirit. 
Okay, let me sum up this message here. There's going to be this black box that's going to come up, and, and uh, I think I stole this from Kent, or maybe Kevin. I don't know who I stole this from. Um, oh, they all start with the letter R. You're going to love it. They all start with R. The best, best analogies have all the same letter, right? Um, how do I change? Let me sum up the last hour right here. First, you need a reason to change. I was talking at, at a break with someone about um, a speaker once gave, me an, gave an analogy saying my, my daughter was rebellious, or this, this, in this family, this daughter was rebellious, but they gave, their family had, had a vision for adoption. And so that was their, their vision. That my daughter will stop being rebellious because she'll be a part of this, this vision for our family of, of helping an orphan. And so get a vision for your family, whether it's orphan care or this or that or this. And I think, okay, that's good, but let's raise the stakes, <laughs> right? It's not just orphan care or whatever vision you have for your family. It's God's glory. No matter what I do, I want to bring glory to God. Present my body as a living sacrifice. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give. If you want to see change in your life, have a reason for change. In our counseling, we don't say, okay, I think you need to see change in your life. Do it for your spouse. I'm here for my honey. I'll do whatever she wants me to do. I'll do whatever he wants me to do. I say, okay, that's not going to cut it. You need to be desperate and broken before the Lord, not before your spouse. And so uh, the reason you need to change is because you want to see God glorified because that's where you'll find joy. You won't find joy if you just change for your spouse's sake. You'll find some temporary happiness, but you won't find pleasures forevermore, Psalm 1611. You won't find joy unending unless you do it for God's glory. So 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Every kid in your church, when asked, what's your goal in life, should be able to say, to please God. Every kid in your church, when asked, what's your goal in life, should say, to please God. That that has to be echoing through the chambers of our Sunday school classrooms. So give, give them a reason for change. Give me a reason for change. God does it to find joy and bring glory to him. Then we remember. We remember from where we have fallen. We've talked about this already, right? We see our depravity. Thirdly, we repent. We remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you and we'll remove your lampstand out of its place. Repentance is, and I can't remember where I got this quote, a turning of the mind heart and will away from sin and toward God. A turning of the mind, heart, and will away from sin and toward God. We reject those things. We repent and we reject those things that lead us towards that idol worship. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornification, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now, you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. And we renew our minds. Romans 12, we've talked about the living sacrifice. We didn't go to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we reclothe and put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I've put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And lastly, we rejoice, right? This is where we find that joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. We read this already. Again, I will say rejoice. So how do I change? When has when someone changed? Um, a liar is no longer a liar. Not just when he stops lying. Not just when he puts off, right? But when he puts on. When he starts being a truth, truth, a truth teller. When is a thief no longer a thief? Not just when he stops stealing, but when he starts being charitable. So, church, what I say to you, as the gathered uh, Big C Church, local churches gathered here for this conference, do you know who you are? Are you sure of your, your salvation? Just by signing up for a conference, doesn't, a Christian conference doesn't make you a Christian. So in a room this big, I want to ask the question, do you know who you are? Are you sure that you are saved? Have you trusted fully in Christ alone for your salvation? 
If you do know who you are, are you living it out? Are you being who you are? You can say, yes, I'm sure I'm, I'm a believer. I know I'm a believer. I've trusted in Christ alone. Are you living that out? Are you being who you are? And the great challenge of this conference is, then take others with you. I think it would be a great tragedy, right, for us all to leave this conference and go, huh, that was really good. Boy, that was a good conference. And that's where it ends. Boy, that was good. I can't wait till next year where I can say that was good again. But are you going to take others with you? You know, that Great Commission starts with all authority uh, and heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. I think the Ben Davidson paraphrase there is, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Listen up, people. I'm the man. <laughs> all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go to a day and a half conference and say, that was great, and do no more. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to do all that I've commanded you. And the great promise, I'm going to go with you as you do it. So let's pray. That would be our end. God, may you help us to go and make disciples. May it start by us growing and changing and becoming more like your son. Would you move in us in such a way that you poke us and your grace spills out? You poke us and scripture pours out of us. As, as those are around us rub into us, they see you. Whether that's in a formal counseling situation or it's a more informal uh, side conversation, even a two-minute conversation in the hallway at church tomorrow. God, would you use us to make, make disciples and to make your name great? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.